Amen. Good morning. Well, it's good to be back with you all once again. Am I on? No. Am I? Yes, keep talking, Suki says. Okay, just do what Suki says. Okay, very good. Well, um, man, I wanted to give just a a little bit of explanation. You you notice we kind of blocked out some time in the middle of our service to pray. You say, well, man, why do you do that? Can't we just kind of pray on our own? Well, the answer is yes, and we we hope you do. But if you look through the New Testament, there seems to be this emphasis on the people of God praying together. So, you know, the one time in the scripture where the the Lord teaches his disciples to pray, it's called what? You know what that pastor's called? The Lord's Prayer. Okay, you know it? Let's see if we can say it together. It goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our... It just depends what version you learned it in, right? As we forgive those who trespass or dead against us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I just want you to pause just one second. What do you notice about the pronouns? Our Father who art in heaven, okay? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. What do you notice about all those? They're plural. They're plural. In other words, it seems like when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he expected them to pray together, together. And so what we want to do just at Gospel Hope Church is have a culture where we are regularly seeking the Lord together. It is part of our worship experience. I I really believe that as God's people seek him in prayer, God often responds in power. Perhaps so often we just don't experience the power of God in our lives and in our corporate gatherings is because, as the scripture says, you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. So I don't want, it to be, I don't want us to be a church that's guilty of just not asking the Lord to come and meet with us because we need him. I mean, what we want God to do, I hope what all of you want God to do is above your pay grade, Right? We want to see a movement of the gospel here in Atlanta. We want to see a movement of the gospel that that God would be gracious enough to use this little band of believers to make an impact on the lostness in our world and even to the nations. Do you want to see that? Do you long for King Jesus to be all hailed by every tongue and people and tribe and nation? And that only comes when he gets involved. We can whip up a nice worship service, but we cannot cause the power of God. We need the Lord. So we need to pray, folks, okay? So if you want to be a praying Christian who who wants to see the power of God, welcome. If you don't want to see the power of God, then please come talk to me because I want to know what's going on there, all right? Uh, We want to be a church that really seeks God's face. Can we do that? Amen? Amen. All right. Galatians 5. We're going to jump back in this morning. Let me just read one verse from this passage, and hopefully you can follow along as we go. Galatians chapter 5. I just want to read verse number 1 together. It says this, For freedom, 
Christ has set us free. Stand firm there and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you show us the freedom that we have in Christ today? Would you open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law? Would you unite our hearts that we would fear your name? Would you incline our hearts to understanding and wisdom? We need you. Please speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title of the message today is From Bad to Worse. A few years ago, a man from Missouri who, after spending almost four decades in prison, got released and immediately faked an armed robbery. When the police showed up, he did the old, you know, get a jacket on, put your hand in your jacket, pretend it's a gun. No, he didn't actually have a gun. When the police were called and they showed up, he said, oh, I'm thankful you're here. I want to go back to jail. This man had been in bondage for so long that he couldn't even conceive of a life of freedom. I bring this sad story up because I think in this passage, Paul is clearly warning the Galatian believers against committing the same error spiritually. Verse 1 again, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, it appears that the Galatians, after hearing of the work of Jesus and being set free by the gospel, were tempted to return to the slavery of the law. Why? Why would after tasting freedom, they be tempted to run back into enslavement? Here's why. Just get this idea right now. Living in freedom is not simply a one-time decision. It is a lifetime direction. Living in freedom is not simply a one-time decision. It is a lifetime direction. That is, if you want to truly live a life of freedom in Christ, it means day by day, moment by moment, decade after decade, you must remind yourself that you have been set free from sin and slavery by the work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens in moments, plural. It is one thing to come to a church service and hear about the freedom that we've been given in Christ. To hear these words and to say amen like good Christian people do. Let me read a verse for you and you're going to say? For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And God's people said, isn't that wonderful? John 8, verse number 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be really free. And God's people said, Galatians 4, verse number 7. So you are no longer a slave. You are a son. And God's people said, but we can all say the word amen in this moment, 
it is another thing entirely to walk out these truths tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Here's the reality. I think it is a, not just a Galatian problem, but a human problem. We drift towards bondage. All of us, we're out of alignment a little bit. And our hearts tend to drift towards the bondage and slavery to sin rather than freedom that which purchased for us in Christ. Can't you feel that? Can't you feel it in your heart? Where there are a thousand things in your life that are warring to be your king day after day after day. There are a thousand things in your life that are tempting you to go back towards bondage, that habit that has marked your life for months or years or decades. That character trait that you know is ungodly, but you feel powerless to break. Have you ever said, it's just the way I am. I'll never change. I'll never be different. You are tempted towards enslavement there, not believing that Christ has broken the chains and given you the ability to live freely in him, which leads me to my point this morning. We must believe and I would argue, keep on believing that Christ has set us free. It's not a one-time decision. It's not walking an aisle. It's not praying a prayer. Those are all critical and good and important things. But if we are to live in Christ, we have to do what that great theological band, a journey, tells us to do. Don't stop believing. Keep on believing. Keep on believing in the freedom that you have been given in Christ. So that raises the question, right? What has Christ set us free from? How indeed have we been made free? What do we need to believe about that freedom in order that we would walk and live in continual freedom? Well, I want to unpack that in the next few minutes, and I believe that is Paul's thrust here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. So if you're taking notes, the simple heading is this, our freedom in Christ. Number one, freedom from self-justification. As you may remember, if you've been present with us over the several last weeks, the false teacher in Galatia were seeking to persuade the believers to trust in Jesus plus. Jesus plus the works of the law. Jesus plus the Jewish traditions. In order to have a right relationship with God, these false teachers said, you need Jesus. Yes, Jesus is good, but you also need to do certain things. And Paul says, no, that's a fool's errand. It's a direction of folly. And he strikes that chord here once again in Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 2. Take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, listen to the statement, it's very strong, Christ will not benefit you at all. In other words, if you try to enhance or amend or improve the gospel one iota, it becomes non-gospel to you. It becomes anti-gospel. Christ plus is a message of death. Christ alone is a message of life. If you add to it at all, you are essentially achieving the opposite of what you hope to achieve. Christ becomes no benefit to you if you add to it. To put it very plainly, additions to the gospel are distortions of the gospel. 
If you add to the gospel, you distort the gospel. The message of Christ is Christ and him alone. Any attempt at self-justification, and that's what's going on here. That is, gaining a right standing with God by something that you do. Any attempt at that will cut you off from Christ. There's actually two reasons Paul gives in this passage why that's the case. The first one is this. If you try to do that, if you try to live in a message of Christ plus, it is terribly, terribly impractical. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at the text again. Verse number three. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised. So if you start down this path of obeying the law, then you are obligated to do the entire law. That is... If you say to God, God, you should accept me because I do X, Y, Z, because I keep your law. Paul's basically saying a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you better be good at keeping the law. If you go down this path at all, then you better keep every little iota of the law. You better be really good at keeping the law. And friends, there's a bunch of laws to keep. Let me give you just a few samples. These are found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, so it's relevant to the Galatians, it's relevant to us. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 2. Be holy, says the Lord, as I am holy. How you doing? Let me give you another one. Walk humbly before God, Micah 6, 8, and James 4, 10. Rejoice in the Lord always, Psalm 118 and Philippians 4. Man, if God evaluated you just on those three commands, just three of them, and there's hundreds, you'd be in trouble, right? The Lord knew that we were unable to keep the law, and that's why he says you cannot. It is impractical for you to try to get yourself right with me by keeping the law. You can't do it. Second reason. It's not just impractical. He goes one better, right? It's impossible. It's not just really hard. It's, it's downright out of your league. It's like trying to jump from Mar- to Mars from here. You can't jump high enough. Look at verse 4. You who are trying. You're trying. You're giving it a college attempt here. You're working hard at it. You are trying to be justified by the law are actually alienated from Christ. Wow, that's a strong word. You have fallen from grace. Paul is essentially saying this. Your goodness, your goodness cannot bring you salvation, but it can keep you from it. Your goodness cannot bring you salvation, but it can keep you from it. If you come to the Lord, listen church, if you come to the Lord with anything but empty hands, you are alienated yourself from Christ. Your attempt to bring anything in your hands to God is actually offensive to the God you're trying to please. You have fallen from grace. So you hear these words, man, it's impractical, it's impossible. Is there any hope? Thankfully, yes. Look at the next verse. Verse number five. For we eagerly await, I love these phrases. 
through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. Woo, that's a good one. You can't make yourself justified, but we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. Now, we as English speakers lose just a little bit here because the word justification in verse number four, or justified, and righteousness in verse number five actually come from the same root word. So if you were a Greek speaker and you read those words, they sound almost identical to you. So Paul is saying, hey, if you are trying to make yourself righteous, justify yourself, you can't do it. But if you will trust in Christ, you have a hope of righteousness. He's saying, you want righteousness? Jesus has righteousness. The only way that you can make yourself right is by trusting in the one who always did everything right. He's kind of juxtaposing those ideas together to emphasize the fact that justification, righteousness comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And listen, church, some of you need to hear that desperately this morning. You know why? Because you live on the performance treadmill. Every day, you get up in the morning and you start this. Am I good enough today? How am I doing, God? Ah, I'm trying hard. God, do you love me? Do you like me? Better try a little harder. Now, I'm serving at church. Read my Bible. I'm praying. Now, God, do you like me? Oh, I was unkind to my kids. I better pick that up. God, now I'm a deacon. I gave more money than I've ever given before. God, now do you like me? And you're exhausted. Sure, God is love, but you're not sure if he likes you. Friend, my performance-oriented friend, can you get off the treadmill? And can you get a sledgehammer? And can you smash that thing to bits? Because righteousness is found not by being good. Righteousness is found by trusting in the only one who is good. Get off the treadmill and sing, sing with your soul the words of the old hymn writer. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Why? Because on Christ the solid rock I stand and all of the ground is sinking sand. Some of you need to stop with your rat race. Stop with trying to make God like you by what you do and begin resting in the goodness and the sufficiency of the work of Christ. Listen very carefully. The bad news is you're not good enough. Hear it, you're not. The good news is Christ is. You are not good enough. Christ is good enough. And some of you, I just want you to be delivered from that. You're living in slavery. 
Why, as Paul would say, why, 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 when you've been freed from Christ, are you tempted to go back to the yoke of slavery? Get off the treadmill and trust in the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, you do not obey God for acceptance. You obey God from acceptance. Get that preposition in your soul. You do not obey God for acceptance. You obey God from acceptance. What does that mean? You don't need to obey for God to accept you. You obey because God has accepted you. And some of you, man, some of you, it's so hard for you to obey God. Can I tell you a secret? That's because you don't know that he loves you anyway. And the moment you make that shift in your heart, that shift in your soul, you will take his yoke upon you and you will find that it is light. The commands of God will cease to be a burden to you and they will begin to be a blessing to you. We don't need just a new playbook We don't need a new list of rules. We need a new heart. We need a new king. And that only comes when we say, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not enough. He is. Jesus came to set us free from this self-justification project. And friend, all of us at one time or another in our lives have been on that quest. Let's live in freedom. Number two. Not only does Jesus come to set us free from self-justification, Jesus comes to set us free from self-determination. This idea is a little bit more complex. I need you to put your theological thinking caps on for a moment and buckle up, think hard, aim your brain. The false teachers that had infiltrated Galatian were consistently preaching a distorted gospel. Notice how Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 7. You were running well. You're doing good. You were trusting in Jesus. But who prevented you from being persuaded? Look at this. Persuaded regarding the what? Okay. Thank you, Carolyn. Very good. Everybody look at the screen. Persuaded regarding the truth. This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. In other words, Paul is just flat out saying, look, you know the thing that the false teachers are telling you that's different than what I told you? It's not from God. I came and I told you the truth. These people, they're coming and they're telling you a lie and it's cutting you off from Christ. And then he says, and listen guys, it's subtle. It's not just like an outright lie. It's just like, little nuances, little change of meaning, little additions, little subtractions. It's really subtle, but it messes you up. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse number nine. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Just a little yeast in a loaf of bread impacts the whole loaf of bread. And just these little changes that these false teachers were bringing were corrupting their whole teaching. 
The result was a teaching of a slightly distorted non-gospel which would never has the power to make anyone right with God. It was a damnable message because they changed it from the truth. In a sense, the false teachers were trying to find their own path to God. They were saying who God was. They were defining who they were. They were defining the way by which man could be made right with God. They were answering these big questions, not with God's truth, but with their own truth. And here's the reality. People are feverishly trying to do the same thing today. Do you hear these questions in our society? Who is God? Is there a God? What's he like? If he's like that, is that fair? Do I want to listen to him? If he's really real, do I want to have a relationship with that type of God? Or should I change the way that God is so he's more palatable to me? Who am I? Well, am I who God says I am? Or am I who I say I am? Who really determines what is truth for me? My truth is not Carolyn's truth. Carolyn's truth is Carolyn's truth. And my truth is my truth. And God may have an opinion, but that doesn't mean I have to listen to it. And what's wrong with humanity? Well, I have all kinds of suggestions and solutions for that. Let me offer you my take on it, on how man should be right with God. What makes a good human being? What doesn't make a good human being? You hear it in our society right now. People are trying to answer questions about ultimate truth. Who is God? Who is man? How is that relationship made right? And they're not listening to God. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This is powerfully illustrated in the life of Jesus himself. Just before Jesus was crucified, you remember he had a interview or really a trial by Pontius Pilate. Well, Pilate knew a little bit who Jesus was, but I think based on Pilate and Jesus' discussion, Pilate would fit right in here in 21st century America. He knows who Jesus is. He's seen his works. He's known he has some degree of significance. And so in comes Jesus to talk with Pilate. And Jesus says this, my kingdom is not from this world, said Jesus. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this And I have come into the world for this to testify to the, what's it say? Everyone who is of the, listens to my voice. Their God in the flesh is standing before Pilate and he says, look, Pilate, I'm God. You're not. I get to determine reality. You don't. And I am standing here telling you the truth. And Pilate, because he hadn't experienced the freedom of trusting that God is the determiner of truth, answers with this bitter answer. What is truth? It is an extremely frustrating and discouraging reality to constantly be trying to find out who is the source of truth. Part of the reason that Jesus came is to set us free from that insanity. Jesus came to say, you wanna know the truth? You're looking at him. 
You want to be free from this constantly shifting milieu of knowing how to live and who is God and who is man and how do I rightly relate to him? I'm telling you right now, I am the God of the universe. I am the way. I am the And if you trust in me to you, I become the life. Friends, Jesus came to set us free from this craziness. Don't you feel it? Feels like you're stepping in quicksand all the time. Is there any firm foundation? The answer is yes. But it is not found in worldly psychologies or secularism or ideologies. It is found in the person and the work of Christ we have been set free so that we would know the truth and the truth is not a list of rules. The truth is a person who came and took on flesh and to free you and I. And here's the thing, the skeptic in you might say, well, Ryan, of course Jesus is gonna say that Jesus is the truth. Of course, the Bible is going to say the Bible is the truth. That's like preaching to the choir. That's a circular argument. Obviously, they are going to say that. But listen, this is good. It's hard, but it's good. Jesus is so true. And because you're made in the image of God, his truthfulness is written on your heart. Let me just give you one evidence of that. You know, people in our society right now, they're infatuated with heroes, are they not? I mean, seriously, like it is like almost crazy the level of obsession we have with heroes. You know why? Because we're made for a hero. We're made for a hero. We know something's wrong with us and we know we need someone to rescue us. Let me take three modern fairy tales, modern myths that are probably the most popular in our society right now. Iron Man, you know, in the whole infinity gauntlet struggle, Harry Potter, okay, and Luke Skywalker. Would you all say those are like pretty modern, major myths that run through? And let me summarize the storyline of all three of those. Ready? Iron Man. In one extraordinary act, a man who did unbelievable things, sacrificed himself to save humanity. Sound familiar? Harry Potter, a long-predicted hero, rose from obscurity and suffered terribly to defeat an evil that he alone could overcome. Sound familiar? One more. A child, Luke Skywalker, raised in an out-of-the-way place, boldly faced off against the ruler of an evil empire and purchased freedom for his enslaved people. Sound familiar? Why? Because all those stories are just rip-offs of the story. Listen to me very carefully. The gospel's truth Yes, it's confirmed in the Bible, but it is also confirmed in your bones. You know Jesus is legitimate because the human heart longs for a Savior that only Jesus could be. 
Every other myth or legend or story that is present in our society is just a mere echo. It's an echo of the Savior that we really need. As theologian Tim Keller puts it, Christianity answers the questions of the mind and the longings of the heart. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the one you've been looking for. Friends, friends, Jesus came to set us free from chasing all these other truths, and he has confirmed the truth that God himself wrote on our hearts. You are free. You are free from trying to figure it out. God figured it out for you. Number three. Freedom from self-indulgence. I, I, I got like full-on Rod Dewberry level sweat this morning here. I am just, whew, I need an armor bear with a towel right now. Whew, this is, hang on, hang on. This mic cord, nobody may ever want to wear this thing again. It has been baptized. Yes, okay, right. All right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Whew. Freedom from self-indulgence. Finally, the work of Christ has set us free from self-indulgence. That is, through the work of Jesus, rather than living as a slave to your own selfishness, we can live selflessly. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. Seems like some in Galatia were saying, hey, we're free, free. Free to live however I want now. And they were using that freedom to just indulge themselves. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what Christ set you free for. You're misunderstanding the freedom that you have been given in Christ. We have not been freed from legalism only to be enslaved by lust. That's just trading one bad master for another bad master. One bad king for another bad king. Freedom in Christ does not mean we are utterly lawless. Rather, we are freed from the tyranny of self and allowed to live under the benevolent rule and reign of King Jesus. Here's the thing. We've all, at one time or another, lived as our own king. We have followed our own counsels. We have obeyed our own demands. We have executed our own will. And what did that get you, brothers and sisters? Damaged relationships, hard consequences, hurting people that we claim to love, feelings of guilt and shame and isolation. The gospel is not a message of anarchy. It is a message of a king in his kingdom. Jesus didn't come so that we would be anarchist. Jesus came so that he would rule us because, listen, I'm not a very good king. And neither are you. Jesus came so that we could submit to his benevolent rule. He could, we could live in his kingdom. <laughs> in the legend of Robin Hood, the people of Nottingham were under the tyranny of a usurper on his cohorts. They were delivered not just by the usurper, the sheriff, and Prince John being overthrown, they were delivered when the real king returned. And friends, if you trust in Jesus, the good news for you is Jesus is your king. You ever been in a place of anarchy? It's scary. 
You ever been in a place where there is no law? It's terrifying. We don't need lawlessness. We need King Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I'm setting you free. I'm setting you free from both legalism on one hand, enslavement to the law, and from lust on the other hand, enslavement to your own desires. Because the whole law is summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm setting you free to love. I've set you free for something way beyond just being your own king. I am setting you free so that you can lay down your life for other people. King Jesus sets his people free from all tyrants. He not only forgives, he empowers. He not only frees us from sin's penalty, but from sin's power. And the good news is because of this, we need to remember that sin is not our master. Romans chapter 6 Verse number six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look, listen. Some of you have been getting your tail handed to you for a year for five, for 10, by the same habit. Pornography. Why do I keep looking? You know what's wrong? Why do I keep going back there? Anger. My fuse is this long. Why, why do I blow up at everybody and people I, 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 I say I love? Why do I do that? worry. Some of you are terrified this morning. You just live at a constant state of like death con two. And you think I'll never be different. It's how I am. It's who I am. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You are free. Sin is not your master. Christ is. Let me use an illustration. Suppose um, I was renting a house from um, Pastor Rod. And um, he's a bad landlord, man. He's bad. And he shows up first of the month every time, and I, I got I to gotta pay him. I pay him. Pay him every month, every month, because he's the landlord. He owns the bill. He owns the deed. It's his. Then one day, Marcus comes in and purchases the home from Pastor Rod. Marcus is much nicer than Pastor Rod. We all know that, right? He's a good landlord. And then on the first of the month, after Marcus has purchased the home, Pastor Rod shows up at the door and says, pay me my money. You owe me. Now, I am free to pay him that money. I can do it, but I don't owe it to him. You're not my landlord anymore. He is. Church, stop paying the old landlord. Might feel like they're in charge. They're not. Christ is. Your flesh is not your king. Your lust is not your king. 
the law is not your king. Your anger is not your king. Your worry is not your king. Your bitterness is not your king. Jesus is your king. Bow the knee to no other. Church, let's be free. Remember, it's not a one-time decision. It's a lifetime direction. You know when you got to do this? Right now. And tomorrow. And the next day. And the day after that until you're dead. To live as a free man, you must choose to live in freedom. Believing all the rich promises of God. That because of the work of Jesus, you are free. Here's what I want to do as we close. Maybe you heard kind of those three buckets. Self-justification. And some of you are right now saying, Pastor Ryan, I'm on the treadmill. I mean, if I'm honest, I'm on the treadmill. And even what you're saying right now, Tim, I mean, like, I'm like anxious about this right now. Because I feel like, man, if I do that, I, I just won't feel like I'm doing enough. And you need to be free from that treadmill. Some of you, some of you, this self Self-determinism. I mean, your, your brain goes everywhere all the time. And you're like, you know what? I need to just get this settled. Christ is the truth. I need to stop questioning him. I need to lean into the word of God and let the word of God shape me rather than every idea that comes on the news or everything that I hear on social media. I need to let the word of God determine who I am. God tells me who I am. God tells me who he is. God tells me how to be made right with him. And third... Maybe it's the self-indulgence. You got a habit and you need to break it. And you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I need to go to war. And I need to believe that Christ has set me free. If you're in one of those categories, here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask the people of God to minister to you. We've done this many times. We're going to do it again. We're going to keep doing it because we want to pray for one another. If you're in one of those categories, you're like, I just need to embrace my freedom in Christ in greater ways and I'd like people to pray for me. Would you just stand on your feet right now? Stand on your feet right now. I need to embrace the freedom that I've been given on in Christ. Stand on your feet right now and people are gonna come and pray for you. Go ahead and stand up. Okay, great, great. Stand on your feet. I need to embrace the freedom that I have in Christ. Here we go, here we go. Okay, you know this. I need to embrace the freedom that, I've been ha- that I have in Christ. Great, great. No, no shame in it. This is the people of God. We're family, y'all. Amen. All right, I'm gonna give you about three more seconds. And we're going to pray. All right. Find some people. Lay your hands on them. Just have a word of prayer over them. Just have a word of prayer. They don't need to tell you their story. Just pray for them that they would embrace the freedom that they begin of in Christ. And the band's going to come and sing for us in just a moment.
Father, I pray that we would embrace the freedom that you've purchased for us through Jesus. Pray for these brothers and sisters who are standing right now. Lord, I pray right now they would receive, receive from you as your people pray over them. Lord, we don't know the struggle, but we just know that they long to be more free in Jesus. Pray blessing over them. Lord, I pray for our church that we would live out the gospel, that it wouldn't just be a simple one-time decision, but a lifetime direction that we choose to believe what you've done for us. Lord, you've made us free. Help us to live in that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and worship the one who set us free.